morning. Uh, so this morning's passage is Colossians 3, uh, from 1 to 8. You can find that on page 955 in the Blue Bibles. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. So I would ask you to keep that passage open as we go. So how many of you took Friday off to have a four-day weekend? I'm not talking about chucking a sickie, but a planned day off. It's good to have four days in a stretch, isn't it? Well, I took Friday off. Um, Had a lot of paperwork to catch up and also wanted to spend some time preparing this message. So on Friday morning I was just about to sit at my table, I had my Bible open, and our two miniature poodles were tearing their heads off because there was someone at the door. So I went and opened the door and there were two lovely ladies, very courteous, very nice ladies, which are with a watchtower magazine and wanted to have a conversation. There were two Jehovah's Witnesses ladies. So they asked me whether I believed in the Bible, to which I promptly said yes. And I said, you know, come and look at my study table. I've got my Bible open. I'm going to prepare a message, blah, blah, blah. But they were not going to let up. That wasn't enough for them. They had to give what they had prepared to come. So they turned to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You know what that says, isn't it? That all scripture is God-given, God-breathed. And wanted to ask whether I believed in it. And I said a loud amen to them. And I thought that would be it. But they just kept chugging along. So I thought, okay, now, now I'll need to engage them in my sort of conversation. So here were two people with an open Bible. And when I asked about Christ and Christ alone for salvation and Christ being God, I mean, in their minds... Christ was a really nice person and yes, almost like like God, but not God. 
just, just, just one or two steps below, one step below. They also found out that I was a medical professional, so obviously that conversation led to uh, blood products in, in emergencies. And again, they just couldn't see the difference between man-made rules and divine command. Two different things. And um, so we sort of agreed that we would uh, agree to disagree on a lot of things. And I invited them here. They're not here. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I also told them that you know, to keep my end of the bargain, I'll pop into one of their uh, things as well and have a chat again. So that was an interesting conversation, and I felt that it absolutely particularly led to what I'm going to share with you this morning from the book of Colossians. Christ alone is all sufficient. But before we open our, our Bible and look through, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us this morning. Open your word and teach us. Father, give us receptive hearts. Speak through me as I speak to your people. I ask in the risen Savior's name. Amen. So the book of Colossians, you know, was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Colossae. This was a new church. And Paul was in prison for the first time. Around the time that he wrote the book of Ephesians, around AD 70. And it's interesting that Paul had never been to Colossae before. So whatever that he was going to write to them, he heard from someone else. These Colossians were probably converts from one of Paul's converts, Epaphras. And you read about that in chapter 1. It alludes to that. And again you read about Epaphras at the end of the book in chapter 4. Now Epaphras was from Colossae. And he was converted through Paul's ministry, most likely. And he and his friends went back to Colossae and started to preach the gospel. A church was formed. And we also find that Epaphras didn't stop there. You know, there was a church in Laodicea and other surrounds. And he was very active. And we can see how the gospel was spreading at that time exponentially. Paul meets Epaphras. He becomes a Christian. Epaphras goes home with his mate. Lots and lots of Christians. Wherever they went. Among the Gentiles. Among the Jews. So at the time that Paul was writing to the Colossians, Epaphras had actually gone back to visit Paul. And you find that in chapter 4. So Paul probably got to know everything about the church at Colossae. Their strengths. Possible risks. 
the well-being and so on through Epaphras. Now if you look at chapter 1, we find that the church in Colossae was held in high esteem, high regard. Verse 2 in chapter 1, Paul describes them as the holy and faithful brothers. They were holy. They were faithful. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he commends them for their faith in Christ and love for the saints, fellow believers. So this was a good church. This was a faithful church. They loved each other. And their faith in Christ was something to be commended. However, Paul probably through what Epaphras had already told him could sense danger. There was some trouble brewing in that church. And he was very keen to nip this in the bud. And you read about that in chapter 2. And we sang about the very basics of our doctrine in, in the first song, the last song, and so on. It's Christ alone for salvation. Christ alone is all what we need for Christian living. And my chains are broken and I'm truly free indeed. But this church was coming under pressure, testing their basic foundation. We read that this church was being pressured to follow various rituals and traditions which were Jewish-based traditions. You read about that in chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. It says, since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world... Why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So they were following the gospel and getting sucked into these rituals. Do not handle. So do not touch that part. Do not go there. Do not eat this. Do not taste. All man-made rules. And Paul says destined to perish and drag the believer down and drag them away from the core belief, the core doctrine of the gospel. There was something more sinister happening in this group. You know, some people have termed it the Colossian heresy, but it's probably not that. But you can see that this group were being pressured they were being pressured to move away from the fundamental doctrine, the fundamental belief that Christ alone is all sufficient for salvation. Christ alone is all sufficient for Christian living. And people were told 
that they could even become better Christians. You can sort of read that in between the lines in chapter 2 by following certain practices. And in today's term, you say it. People say, yes, believe in Christ. But also ask so that you could speak in tongues. So that you're sort of definitely crossing that line. And you're now a real proper Christian. The next level up. A greater level of enlightenment, if you want to say it that way. So like a spiritual elevation... You have basic Christians and a super Christian level. There was even something more happening in that group. Paul refers to this. Worshipping of angels. Something subtly was creeping into this group. So that direct relationship between man and his saviour was interposed with an intermediate level. So you pray to angels or something so that they would talk to God on your behalf. Elevating creation to God-like status. And we see this today. Where this, this basic passage that comes with the gospel is threatened. This, this relationship, this one-on-one -on -one relationship with Christ, with God. And people are being told, yep, but also pray to the saints. Or pray to Mary and so on and so forth. Moving away from what's been given and what's rightfully a Christian's. The relationship with God through salvation. So these two chapters, friends, deals with these issues. And Paul carefully goes through what it means to be saved. What it means to have Christ alone. What it means to have fullness of Christian living through Christ alone. This doctrine of the gospel. And you see it in Paul's writings everywhere. In the Romans, he deals with doctrine first and practical application next. The book of Ephesians, similarly in the book of Colossians. Doctrine first, practical application next. And from chapter 3 onwards, he turns the spotlight on the Christian. And says, in light of all what Christ has done for you, what is your response? In light of what Christ has done for you on the cross. In light of the fact that he rose up from the dead. And in light of the fact that the, the gift of salvation is free. Through Christ. This is the doctrine. So Christians, what is your response? And in the book of Colossians, like in the book of Romans... He goes about this in a very systematic and deliberate manner. In the passage that was read to you, it is Christian and his relationship with Christ. The next, Christian and his relationship with fellow brethren. Next section, Christian and his relationship at home 
Christian and his relationship at work comes after that. And then Christian and his relationship of the outside world comes after this. And you can see that Paul deliberately addresses the most critical relationship first. The main priority of a Christian, of you and I, is to grow this relationship with Christ. If this fails, all other part of your Christian walk will tend to fail. Your witness at home would fail. Your witness at church would fail. Your witness in your workplace would fail. Outside world would fail because your prime connection has failed. So Paul deliberately deals with this relationship first. So in this portion of scripture, Paul starts by reminding the Christian three undeniable facts. This is what a Christian has and can claim as its own. Verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. So what, what is the first thing that a Christian has? He has been raised with Christ. He or she has been raised with Christ. No longer doomed. Raised with Christ into the heavenly realms. Raised from the clutches of sin. Raised from the power of the, of the Satan. Bible describes Satan as this roaring lion. Walking around trying to devour people. All this absolutely beautiful angel of light. Raised from the power of certain, Satan. And raised from eternal damnation and eternal separation from God. This is what a Christian has right now. And Paul goes at length at the very beginning to remind the Christian, now look here, you're different. You've been raised with Christ into the spiritual and eternal realms where Christ reigns and is exalted. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Access to direct, direct access to God. Direct access to Jesus through his completed work on the cross. So what's the second thing a Christian has? Verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. I'll tell you, friends, it gives me great comfort to know that this morning. What a precious promise. Our life is in Christ's safekeeping. Whatever you may go through this morning, it may be so difficult to bear. It may be horrible. It may be physical illness, other forms of illness, bereavement. But a Christian ought to know that his life, her life, is hidden with Christ. 
in all of life circumstances, this is something that we really need to know. That our life is in His safekeeping. As you read through Paul's work, we know that he knew this. In no unequal terms. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Paul says that. And he says, knowing that Christ is by his side, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just can't go past these words in Romans chapter 8, one of the most glorious chapters or portions of Scripture in the whole Bible. Let me read you two verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul is writing this and he's saying, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How comforting are those words. That love of Christ, love of God cannot be separated once you are saved. Our life is hidden with Christ. And there's a third thing, and that you find in verse 4 of Colossians chapter 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when Christ appears, the Christian will also appear with him in glory. This is our future. This is our destiny. With Christ in glory forever and ever. What a promise. What a hope. And friends, what a future for all Christians. This is what you want, isn't it? Raised up with Christ. Hidden with Christ. In glory with Christ. Wow. So Paul says in light of this immensely privileged status, Paul tells the Christians to do two deliberate things in this passage. You read about that in verse 1. He says, set your hearts on things above. And in verse 2, Set your minds on things above. Set your heart, your desires on things above. Set your mind, your intellect on things above. And in the original text, this word set was a much stronger word. It basically says vigorously seek. So there's a lot of action there, isn't it? Vigorously seek. It's not like, you know, setting a uh, you know, channel on your you know, car, uh, you know, radio. It's vigorously seek. You don't vigorously seek channel 873, do you? Or you 
in another word, search with a desire to possess. Active, deliberate process, friends. The setting of your hearts, setting of your minds, is an active, deliberate process. A process that requires time. A time that is deliberately set aside in reading God's Word. A time that is deliberately set apart in communicating with God in prayer. A time, my friends, is under significant threat in daily living. And, and, and that's usually under threat with other good things. Where family comes in. Children's stuff come in. You need to write a paper for work. All those very commendable, very good things. But it eats away at this important time and important relationship if there's no discipline. Ah, that's the other word that we don't like. As Everyone doesn't like this word, discipline. You're not a baby anymore, or a child anymore. But it requires planning, and I'll tell you, it requires discipline. To set that time and get the job done. Set that time with God, your Bible reading time and your prayer time. It's easy to let this slip away. If you ask me this morning, Rohana, I mean, how do I gauge your level of commitment to God? I think there's probably no better barometer of gauging my Christian walk than the time I spend with Christ. Each day, each week. As we find time with Christ and seek those things above, growth in our Christian life would be inevitable. Not only that, it will be noticeable. You can't hide that type of thing, can you? It will be noticeable. And it will become fruitful. So if you feel this morning that you're not really fruitful as a Christian, that people are really not noticing you as a Christian, perhaps you should go right back to the first bit and find, am I really spending time with God? Am I building that relationship? As this is built, it will percolate through our lives, to all aspects of our life, our family life, our church life, our community life. It will all percolate through. And we would increasingly reflect Christ through our lives. Genuine love for one another. A heart that would forgive. A heart that would bear one another's burden. And there will be that desire to live holy lives, to please God. Vision for the lost. We might ask as a church community, do we really have a vision for the lost? And if that's teetering, there may be a problem with this first bit, the relationship with God. There will be the desire to spread God's word. And there will also be a willingness to stand up and take risk. Even if others might laugh at you and say, I mean, he's a bit off 
this morning. So what? Willing to take that stand. So friends, Paul says, set your heart, set your minds on things above. Active process, daily process, and is it happening in our lives this morning? Can we say this morning as a group, yes, that's strong. And it's ticked. Secondly, verses 5 to 8. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the walk in, in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Here Paul tells the Christian to do something else. He says, put to death. He says, rid yourself of something. He says, put to death whatever that belonged to your old sinful nature. You would find that the first few sins there could be classified as sins of lust of the flesh. And the others could be classified as sins of love of the world. He says put to death. Mortify them. Those things don't belong in your life. It's like swatting a fly. You recognize it, boom, it's gone. I need to work on that. We cannot set our hearts on things above. And at the same time, Please our sinful nature. As much as seeking Jesus is an active process, putting to death our sinful nature is an active process. Friends, we are all tempted. Just because you're a Christian, temptation doesn't disappear. I believe closer you are to God, you'll be even more tempted so that you'll lose your witness. We will all be tempted. This side of eternity, we will all be tempted. Paul tells the Christian to deal with these issues ruthlessly. Put to death before it becomes a deed. And before the deed ruins your Christian witness. How many examples do we have of people who have lost their Christian witness due to these things. The lust of the flesh. The love of the world. There's a lovely um, Bible passage in James chapter 1, 14 and 15. I'm going to read that to you. So it says... But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Paul tells these Christians, put to death as soon as you recognize it. 
before you entertain it even further in your minds and make it a deed. Such important teaching, practical teaching to a Christian. These idols, my friends, for a Christian is not made of gold or brass. It comes in the form of a lot of good things. Career. Wealth. So many other materialistic things. They're all perhaps good in their own right. But if it is instead of God and his relationship, that's the idol. Actively seeking out those areas of your life that is contrary to your calling as a Christian and putting that to death. So this morning's message is a simple message. What we have as a Christian is something absolutely incredible. If you don't know that, you need to know that this morning. You've been raised with Christ into the heavenly realms. Your life is hidden with Christ. Your future is with Him in glory. We've been asked this morning to set our hearts, set our minds on the things above. And analyze our lives and put to death that really does not belong to you as a Christian. It may not be that ugly sin, that something completely outlandish. But it may be something quite small that is hindering your walk this morning. So I think that's something important that we ought to do this morning. So I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes asking you to bow, bow your heads and just look within. And I'll just say a few words in, of prayer at the end. Father, we thank you for what we have as Christians. Incredible riches at Christ's expense. We thank you. We come to you with hearts of gratitude. Lord, we ask that we would increasingly reflect our calling in our lives. that we would set our hearts on things about. We would rid ourselves of all those things that, that hinder our walk. And that our walk as a Christian would be honoring to you. We ask in the precious name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.